Well, welcome River family and welcome everybody else that's watching from all over the world. We want to thank you for joining us today. It is Easter. It is a day of excitement. It is a day of joy. It is a day of hope. Today is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our leader and our big brother, Jesus Christ, and we are excited about that today. Today we're going to talk about the hope of Easter. We're going to take communion together, but before we get in, to the service fully today, I want to invite my wife, Lynn, to come and to share and open us up in prayer. Lynn? Good morning and happy Easter to everyone today. I just want to take a minute and just make a few announcements that um, you can join us on Tuesdays and Thursdays live on Facebook at 830 for devotions. And then also starting this week, Pastor Tyson's going to have a Bible study on Wednesday nights um, this will be a deep dive into the Word at 8.30 as well. So we invite you to join us um, on all of those evenings throughout the week. I want to share a scripture with you from Philippians 4, verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And what a day it is to rejoice in the Lord as we celebrate our risen Savior so would you bow with me as we start our service? God, we just thank you today for who you are. We thank you for the joy that comes from knowing you, Lord. We thank you that you love us and you forgive us. God, we ask you to open our minds and hearts to what you would have us to hear today. And we just love you so much, Lord. And we're thankful for you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to do something, and I'm going to invite you to do it with us virtually. It's new to me. I, I've never done this virtually. We're going to take communion virtually today. So I want to invite you to go ahead and go get a piece of bread or an animal cracker or just a cracker. Go get some juice, whether it's grape juice, apple juice. Maybe, maybe you don't have any juice. Maybe it's just water. But we're going to remember what the Lord went through this weekend as he commanded us to do. I want to read a Bible verse to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, and he says, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share one loaf. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 through 17. And Paul says, look, guys, am I not sensible? Do I, do I lack common sense? And then he goes in and makes the comparison. And he says, the bread is the body of Christ. And we're all one loaf. He says, is not the drink representing the blood of Christ? And yet we're all one. And so whatever you've been able to gather, I want to encourage you right now, if you're the leader of your home, husbands, single parents, I want to invite you to take, take the bread, the wafer, the, the animal cracker, whatever it is that you have, and let me pray for it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your body that was given for us and broken for us. 
And upon your body, you receive the penalty of death. You received everything that we deserve. For every little white lie we tell, for even maybe the, what we consider the gross big sins, Lord, to you, sin is sin. And you took that punishment upon your body. I want to encourage you uh, to just take the bread right now and partake of that. The Bible says that in like manner, he took the cup. So whatever cup and whatever juice, if it's water or milk or I have grape juice, I want you to take that and let me pray over it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your blood that was shed upon Calvary. I thank you for the blood that is a life-giving element to our life. That the Bible says that in you and through you, all things hold together. So we thank you that you gave us your blood upon Calvary, that we might remember what you've done to hold us together, to hold our families together during this time, and not just during this time, but throughout all of our lives, hold us together. And when your blood is, is um, looked upon and you are looked upon, you hold our families together and you hold our relationships together. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake of the cup. Well, I want to thank you for joining me in virtual communion, remembering the Lord's Supper. And again, just thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Such an amazing, loving God, such an amazing, loving, big uh, leader, such amazing, loving, big brother. I just love Jesus so much. And I just want to take the next few moments and share with you what God has laid on my heart today for our Easter sermon. If you've got your Bibles or you have the Bible app on your phone or another app on your phone or on the computer, you can look up Matthew chapter 28. You can read this with me. It's an exciting few verses. We're going to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. It says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were, sat the guards were afraid of him, that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to to his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. In this passage, these ten verses, 
are so packed with meaning and power and revelation. But I want us to focus on a few things this morning. You see, the Bible says that at dawn, they were going to the tomb. In, in Jewish thought, the day begins at sundown. And then halfway through the day, the sun begins to rise. You see, in Jewish thought, the day begins in darkness. The day begins in gloom and doom. But the day ends in light. The day ends with the sun coming up. The day ends with bright light in the sky pointing the way so that we can see. That's in Jewish thought. And so the day is already half over, right? They, my question to you is this. Would your thought process and the way we think, do we think from light to darkness? Do we think it's good now and it's only going to get worse? Or do we think from darkness to light? Do we think that it's dark now, but better days are ahead? Because if Easter tells us one thing, it tells us this, that it's always darkest before the dawn. I know that the government is touting that this is going to be the worst week or what we've come through maybe is the worst. I hope and pray so. But here's what I know. No matter how dark it gets, there's light coming. This is, this is the thought process of Jewish people. Does our thought process move us from darkness to light? What's your viewpoint? Will things only get worse or get better? You know, when I'm cheering for my favorite basketball team and they're down by five points with three minutes left, I don't throw up my hands and leave the gym. I have hope that, okay, we're down by five with three minutes left. I don't care. I don't care if we're down by five with two minutes left or if we're down by five with one minute left. It doesn't matter. I have this thing. I have this one word that carries me through called hope. Hope that we'll hit a couple threes in the last 10 seconds and win by one point. I don't know how it goes down, but I have hope that we win. And I want to tell you right now, you might feel like you're in a tomb. You might feel like all is lost. You might have been quarantined so much with your family, you're ready to just kill your spouse. Don't do that. But you might feel like you want to just lock your kids and duct tape them to the wall or something. And Don't do that. But I want to tell you that there is hope, that you might feel like you're in a tomb right now and there's no way out. But Easter is coming. We move as Christians, being Jews by faith, Maybe we're not genetically Jews, but Jews by faith, as the Bible says. We move in our thought process from darkness to light. That's who we are. And I love what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 2, Matthew 28, verse 2, what we just read, they're moving. They're, they're moving from darkness to light. They're going to the tomb. They're expecting one thing, but they're going to get something else. And the Bible says in verse 2, that an angel came down like lightning. Boom! Like maybe something like that. I don't know. Right? So the angel comes down and hits like lightning. And if you read it closely, you're going to see a process. I love it. So let me just kind of act this out a little bit for you and, and use your imagination because I can't move around a whole lot in front of the camera. But something like this. The angel comes down. Boom! The Bible says that he goes over to the tomb. He goes over to the tomb. Now, the guards are there. They're standing. 
And I just pictured the angel like walking up and being like, oh, hey guys. Right? And, and they're like, And the angel's like, what's up? I got a job to do, guys. And the Bible literally says that the angel went to the tomb, which means he landed or showed up on earth. He walked over to the tomb. And then it says that he rolled the stone away. At some point, he had to be like, hey, guys, do you guys want to move out of the way for a minute? I need to move this stone, right? And tip, typical of that time, the stones, took, it took about 20 men to move a stone to roll a stone out of the way. It took about 16 to 20 men. The angel just goes up and goes, he's like, okay, open. And he doesn't stop there. Not only does he like just very, I just picture this whole nonchalant angel just kind of pushing the stone. Hey guys, crawls up. And the Bible says he sits on, he sits on it like, Oh, so this is what you humans do, right? Like, this is, this is the whole death thing. I don't get it, but all right. And the angel just sits on top of the stone. How in the world does an angel come down, push the stone away after having walked to it, and then he sits on it? How does he do that? He does it because he's not worried. He, he's nonchalant because he's not worried. He's not anxious. He's not concerned about this. Because he knows who went in the grave, and he knows who came out of the grave. And the Bible says that the Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb laid there as dead. I mean, they were just dead. Not moving, not anything. They just laid there as dead. One being knew the creator, the other beings didn't. One wasn't worried and wasn't anxious and was just coming to deliver some awesome news. The other ones thought, probably thought, oh crud, because the penalty in the Roman military for not being able to protect your territory was death. So they're probably thinking, and we know they're thinking this because the Bible tells us this. They're thinking, we're going to die now. Our commander-in-chief is going to send us to the executioner. We're going to die. And the Bible says they're laying there as dead. Here's what I want to tell you. One was a spiritual being. One was a being of the flesh, of the physical world. Here's what I can tell you. The stronger your spirit, the greater your hope. The stronger your spirit, the less the worrying. The stronger your spirit, the less the anxiety. If you want to decrease your anxiety and decrease your worry and increase your faith and increase your outlook in life, then grow your spirit. Because the flesh will always lay dead. The flesh knows nothing else. The flesh only knows this world. Do you know how I know who carnal Christians are? Because they're the ones that think that this world is it. That's all there is. But I got news for you. True Christians are open-minded because they believe in a world they can't even see. And we say, you know what? I'm going to grow my faith. I'm going to grow my hope. I'm going to grow my love because those are the three greatest, Paul tells us. And I'm going to grow those. And my worry and my anxiety is going to drop. And I'm going to be like the angel and go, oh, hey, guys. Just going to go right over here and hang out and sit on the tomb and wait for the women to show up. And the guys are like, uh, the soldiers, uh, right? So 
I want to tell you. And I want you to know. You can grow your spirit or you can let your flesh continue to rule and reign. The Bible tells us in verse 5 of this same chapter that we read, the angel said to the women, the angel said to the women, you notice something? The women are made of flesh. They're not, the, they're not a spiritual being like the angel. They're made of flesh, but they didn't fall down in fear and lay there like they were dead. Why? Well, they came... Yes, they were sad. Yes, they expected Jesus' body to be in the tomb. But they still believed in Jesus. They had a connection with Jesus. And so even though he's dead and, and he, Jesus has already done something that is going to blow their mind and revolutionize the planet and the human race as we know it, they had some hope. They still had some belief in them. And here's what I want to tell you. When I look at these women, I see two things. And here it is. You can be afraid, but have hope. I can have a sense of concern, but still have hope. I can plan for the worst, but I can plan for the worst, but I can hope for the best. That I can still have hope despite the circumstances, despite how much I want to duct tape my kids to the wall. I can still have hope. I can still believe that there is power. I know there's power in the resurrection. And so because of that, and because I put my faith and my belief system rest in the resurrection, there's hope no matter what I face. Even if I'm lying on my deathbed in ICU, there is hope. Because death for the Christian is not the end. It's actually the beginning. It's actually when the alarm clock of life goes off and we wake up into a new reality where we will spend eternity. This world, if anything, this world is the dream and the next world is the reality. I choose to live for the reality, not the dream. I plan to have hope. Listen, if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus, in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to feel from time to time concern. You might feel worry. You might even feel a little bit of fear. But in the presence of concern and fear and maybe even a little bit of worry, there is still hope. Listen, we need to know that if God can take the sting out of death, if he can rob hell of its victory, then surely he has the power to make sure that my rent is paid next month. That if God can... Take the keys of death, hell, and the grave. If Jesus can say, I am now master over hell, I am now master over death, and I am master now over the grave, then surely God has the power enough to change the struggle that my children are going through to turn it around. Surely if Jesus can take the cross of Christ, the, the electric chair of his day, and take the cross and make it a symbol of hope, and do a 180, then surely he can turn my marriage around. Surely if Jesus can take a tomb and make it look bare, and a tomb that's full of death, if he can take something that's a sign of death in the tomb, where everything goes to die and just lay, and turn that thing around for a place of faith and a place of love, if he can turn that around, then what can he possibly turn around in your life? That's why there's reason for hope. We don't need to walk around 
believing that death is the end, we can walk around knowing and believing that death is the, be that death is the beginning. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lie that God won't forgive you. Don't believe the lie that if I walk into the church, God's going to strike, strike it with a lightning bolt and burn it down. Don't believe the lie. <clears throat> Don't believe the lie that I'm retired and I'm just going to coast the rest of my life. There's not much else for me to do. It's a lie. And here's what I want to tell you. Fear is a lie. Fear is a lie. Repeat this after me. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know where you're watching. I don't know if, if you're watching at home uh, around, the, around the dinner table. Maybe you've just had breakfast. I want you to stand up. Maybe you're at home watching this on the couch in your skivvies. I want you to stand up off the couch, and I want you to repeat this after me. Are you ready? Stand up. Go ahead and do it. Stand up. Fear is a lie. Say it again. Fear is a lie. Say it one more time. Fear is a lie. All right, you can sit down. Why is fear a lie? Because fear, for most of the time, almost all of the time, fear is only half the truth. Fear, the lie that fear tells us has just enough truth in it to make us believe it. Because if none of it's true, we would never believe it. <clears throat> I want to share a true story with you. The year was 1815. Napoleon is marching across Europe. Napoleon is taking over Europe, and he gets to Belgium. Well, in Belgium at the time is a place called Waterloo, and Belgium is controlled by the United Kingdom and Her Majesty's Empire. It's, it's controlled by, um, by the United Kingdom. <clears throat> Napoleon goes into Waterloo to conquer Belgium, and then his next move is London. And the people of England know that if Napoleon conquers Waterloo, London is next and England will fall. And they know that. And so they reach out to their captain, Captain Wellington, and they send Captain Wellington to Waterloo. <clears throat> and at that time, to, to quickly communicate across cities and countries, they would go to the top of a mountain and they'd light a fire. And then that fire would relay to the next mountaintop, to the next mountaintop, <clears throat> and it would tell them whatever it is that that fire meant. In this instance, the British would light fires if Captain Wellington defeated Napoleon. And so <clears throat> they light the fires, the fires go, Wellington has defeated Napoleon. In London, they said, well, how are we going to get the word out? Because we don't have social media. How do we get the word out? Okay, they didn't, ask, they didn't say we don't have social media, right? <laughs> but they designed and thought of this billboard, and they made a huge billboard over London, and they would paint on it the result of the war. And if Waterloo fell... They knew London and England would fall next, and they would all become slaves to Napoleon and the French Empire. Well, a gentleman got up there, and it seemed the fires burning across the mountaintops, and 
had been told that we won. And so he got on the billboard and he painted. He painted. And right as he was beginning to paint, as it does so often in London, the fog set in and became extremely thick. And the billboard only read, Wellington defeated. Wellington defeated. That's all the billboard read, and that's all that people could see because of the fog. And so people began to panic. They began to flee London. They, some people committed suicide. They were robbing stores, and they were looting, and they were, they were fearful and doing all of the things that fear drives us to do. Well, as time went on, the fog lifted. And it was just one word. It, it was just one word. It was only partial truth. Partial truth was driving their fear. They had lost their hope. And as the fog lifted, it said, Wellington defeated Napoleon. Wellington <laughs> defeated Napoleon. And once the fog lifted and everybody saw the full truth, of the matter, they began to rejoice. They began to dance in the streets. They celebrated. They were happy. Their weeping had turned to rejoicing. They were celebrating. Let me tell you something. Friday and Saturday were just half truth. Calvary is just half the truth. That unless you have Calvary, when you have Calvary, unless you have the resurrection, then you have nothing. If it's just Calvary, then let's walk away from our Christian faith. But if there's resurrection, then what can stop us? What can defeat us? Don't let a half-truth rob you of your hope. Listen, let me tell you something. The quarantine and COVID-19 is half-truth. There is coming a day when we will rise above the situation that we were in, and we will shout and sing from the mountains. We will rejoice, probably less on social media and more in person. We will rejoice and be excited. COVID-19 is defeated. Jesus is still king. The gospel is still moving forward. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Nothing can stop us. Listen to what the Bible says in our last passage today. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says this. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Did you catch that? Those whose hope is in the Lord, they'll renew their strength. They might get a little tired, but their strength will be renewed because their hope is in the Lord. Their hope is not in scientists. Their hope is not in the government. Their hope is not in their neighbor. Their hope is not even in their marriage or their friends. Their hope is in Jesus. And they trust Jesus to give the scientists the answers. They trust Jesus to put the marriage back together. They trust Jesus to do this stuff as they do their part. Jesus does the rest. And it causes them to rise up with wings like eagles and to soar. Do you know what an eagle does? When an eagle feels a storm coming, he spreads his wings and he soars above the storm and stays in the light. He says that when we have our hope in the Lord, we rise like eagles and we bask in the light of the sun. Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. 
In closing, I want to share with you a true story about a boy who was in ICU. He had several burns. In fact, he was burned so severely the doctors were questioning whether or not he was going to live. Well, the children's hospital that he was in had a program with the local school to help children in the hospital continue with their education so that when they come out of the hospital, they haven't fallen behind in their grade level. And they had called and they had sent a teacher over to the hospital and the teacher brought material for the boy to do his homework. And when she first walked in, she was slightly taken aback by the way he looked. But mustering through that, she began to teach him and teaching him English. And she struggled through the teaching just because of his looks. And she left and she came back the next day. While she was coming in, the nurses at the nurse's station said, we want to know what you did. The teacher said, what do you mean? They said, well, Prior to yesterday, we were 90% sure we were going to lose this boy. He had given up fighting. He'd given up trying. He'd given up wanting to take his medication. But since yesterday, we've noticed that his body has begun to fight back. His cells have begun to recuperate even faster just in 24 hours. We have found that he wants to live. They said his whole attitude has changed. Well, two weeks later, the nurse brought it up and said, you know, you know, I came in, I taught. They said, your attitude changed. <clears throat> she said, can I just ask what happened? And I want to read to you the words of the boy. He said, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? If I was really dying, they wouldn't have sent a teacher to teach me about adverbs and nouns. So I must, surely I'm going to live. You see, hope causes the body naturally, causes the cells to begin to fight back. Hope causes our whole countenance and our whole attitude towards things to change. And here's what I want to tell you in closing. God wouldn't. Sin, Jesus, to die and be raised again if there was no hope for the human race, if there was no hope for you and I. In fact, Romans 15, 13 says he's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. And Paul, the writer of Romans, goes on to say, not only is he the God of hope, but because of hope, we can be full of joy. And when somebody's full of hope, they're also full of joy. Maybe you're watching this today, and maybe the situation's got you feeling a little less than. Maybe you're watching this this morning, and you've never truly turned everything over to Jesus. I want to invite you to do that. You see, the Bible says that if we, humanity, humans, individuals, will call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Another term the Bible uses is born again. 
You see, when a child is born into the earth, they're brand new. They have no history of any addictions. They have no history of lying. They're probably about as innocent as they're ever going to be. Jesus uses the term born again. He says, when you choose to follow me, you are born again. When you choose to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life and renounce the old way, Jesus says that in the spiritual world, you become born again. And everything that you've ever done wrong, whether it's lying, swearing, getting drunk, you name it, you are free from that. You are now as innocent, your spirit is as innocent as it will ever be. And from that moment on, you begin to grow in the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. And if you want to accept Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, you want to say, Jesus, I need to be born again. If that's you, I want you to agree with me as I pray, maybe in your own way pray. And then I want you to email me. I want you to email me, Tyson at theriverlapel.com, Tyson at theriverlapel.com, or feel free to look me up on Facebook and message me privately on Facebook. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you that you are a loving God. You're a gracious God. You're, you're not a God up in heaven waiting to hit us with a baseball bat or zap us with a lightning bolt. And let's be honest, Lord, if, if you wanted to get us, nothing's going to stop you. You can get us in the bar as easily as you can get us in our lazy boy watching a movie. Lord, but you love us. You want us to have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I just pray for every person that wants to accept you into their life and begin to follow you and to look more and more like Jesus. I ask you that you forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the things that we've done wrong that have offended you. Forgive us of the things that have caused you to be upset with us and maybe even frustrated. We ask you to forgive us of that. We renounce those things. And Lord, we ask from this moment forward that you would come and send the Holy Spirit to fill us, to change our spirits so that we can be new and innocent. Lord, and in that, we want to begin to grow in our new innocence. We want to grow and look more like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus for our spouse. We want to be more like Jesus for our children. We want to be more like Jesus for our neighbor and our friends. And Lord, we know that in that and through that, you take glory. Lord, you said that you rejoice. Literally, the angels in heaven throw a party when somebody comes to you. Heaven is a place of parties. And I, Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that nobody knows how to party better than you do. So Lord, thank you for rejuvenating our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, and you prayed that prayer of forgiveness and repentance, and you accepted Christ as your Savior, again, email me or hit me up on Facebook. Now I want to turn it back over to Lynn as she comes to close us out. Happy Easter. There is hope. We will get through this. Thank you. Let's pray. God, we just uh, thank you for who you are. We thank you for the blessing of being able to be in your presence. 
Um, we thank you for forgiveness and salvation, Father. God, I just pray right now for everyone who's sick and hurting, and we pray that they would be healed right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for those who are um, struggling with depression and struggling to overcome that. God, I pray that you would just envelop them with your arms of, of loving grace and mercy. God, I pray that as we go through our week this week, that we would put you first in everything, that you would be our priority, that you would be our, um, our joy and our salvation, Lord. We thank you, God, that we can trust in you with the outcome, Father. We thank you for the hope that comes from knowing you. God, we love you and we adore you and we praise you today in your name. Amen. Have an amazing week, River family. We love you. If you need anything, please reach out.